standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go beyond the bell. Every major sport has their special event. The NFL has the Super Bowl. Major League Baseball has the World Series. The World Wrestling Federation has WrestleMania. WrestleMania is the biggest show by the biggest company in the entire world for sports entertainment. To a lot of fans, it's bigger than a Super Bowl. To me, it's certainly bigger than a Super Bowl. WrestleMania is called the granddaddy of them all. And you stand on the grandest stage of them all. It's that time of year when you're on the card at WrestleMania that you stand before millions of people and you stand before your peers and it lets people know that you mean something. That's the ultimate dream is that bell rings and you're standing across the ring looking at another guy and you guys are the main event at the biggest event that there is. It couldn't mean anymore. Having that spot means everything to me. WrestleMania 3 was the greatest moment of my life. 93,000 people in the Pontiac Silver Dome. I got Andre the Giant over my head and I body slammed him. The wrestling world stood in awe. WrestleMania, it's fever, man. There's really that X factor and intangible I can't explain. You just have to feel it. It's pressure, but it's that good kind of pressure. That's an adrenaline rush every single time I step through that curtain. This is the showcase of the immortals. It's a time to shine and to take that spotlight and make it mean something. Eight months of my life was spent in, in a rehab facility, going through a lot of pain and, and hard times, all with one goal in mind, once again, getting a shot to be WWF champion, once again, having the opportunity to get in the ring and, and go to WrestleMania. This is my comeback WrestleMania. This WrestleMania, WrestleMania 18, will be the biggest WrestleMania in my entire career. Tonight, on the biggest stage of all time, this is my biggest chance to make my mark in history and to be remembered and acknowledged as one of the greatest. I'm here because I want to prove that Hulk Hogan is the Babe Ruth of the WWF and I don't want anybody else to take that spot. This match, a matchup of this magnitude, the enormity of this match uh, means so much and it would be a torch passed on to me and letting me know it's your turn, it's your time, you're the best. WrestleMania is undeniably the most magnificent. It's the biggest pedestal to be put on. It's my biggest dream, and now it's my biggest reality. God, there's no feeling that can be like that in the world. It's nothing but 100% pure adrenaline. That's what the memories of WrestleMania are made of for me. season and it's once again time for your old school nostalgia wrestling podcast known as beyond the bell which is powered by the extreme sns radio network and i'm your host your very own personal ring announcer sean beckerman back with you to bring you all things retro in wrestlemania history
we return with part two of the stories behind WrestleMania, volume two. Get it? Volume two, part two. The behind the scenes storylines of the biggest event in professional wrestling. Tonight we discuss WrestleMania's 11 through 20 and the stories behind each of them. We take you backstage, give you some notes or facts that you haven't known about the very special event known as WrestleMania. Throughout the entire month of March, we will be celebrating WrestleMania. Stories, facts, stats. We relive the legends of WrestleMania. We look back at the 2013 WWE Hall of Fame inductees and the impact they made in the wrestling industry. All throughout the month of March at Beyond the Belt as we get ready for WrestleMania 29. Now, let's kick off Volume 2 of the stories behind WrestleMania. The Supreme Stealing Machine from WrestleMania 11. The event had a lot going for it, but didn't really give off that big match feel to fans in the Hartford Civic Center. Perhaps one reason was that The Undertaker, easily one of the top three draws the company had at that time, was feuding with Ted DiBiase's Million Dollar Corporation. Though DiBiase had been a top draw in his day, he was no longer an active competitor, and his stable consisted mostly of over-the-hill performers and budding mid-carters. The crown jewel of the corporation was King Kong Bundy, who was in the midst of his own miniature comeback. Bundy was a fraction of the size he had been in his heyday, yet since he was once a sizable foe, he was put into a match with The Undertaker. Backstage, the WWF wanted to milk the feud for all it was worth and felt that Bundy could go over Undertaker with the right interference. Others were in an uproar, claiming that in no uncertain terms, Bundy would have never draw like he'd had with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 2. For one reason or another, the finish was permanently decided to The Undertaker taking the victory. This was before the streak became a factor in The Undertaker's matches. But the WWF creative and Vince McMahon were still stubborn to hammer home the continuation of this feud, since they really didn't have anything else for The Undertaker to do. Despite handily defeating Bundy, The Undertaker lost his precious urn to another member of the corporation, Kama. Kama, the supreme fighting machine, was actually Charles Wright, who had previously been booked to do the run-in as Papa Shango, who you might remember from the previous edition of the stories behind WrestleMania. We also discussed the gimmick changes that Charles Wright would undergo in a previous Beyond the Bell. Kama was the supreme fighting machine. He was booked to steal the urn, specifically to continue the feud, which Undertaker continued to dominate throughout 1995, despite Kama going as far as to melt Taker's urn into a gold chain. Attempting to explain the Undertaker's urn is hard enough, much less why Charles Wright was booked to do two run-ins on WrestleMania nights. Nevertheless, the Undertaker was so close to having his undefeated streak end at WrestleMania 11. Look at the stare down here. You can feel the tension. And look at this. Bam Bam putting a bad mouth on Lawrence Taylor, trying to verbally intimidate him. Wait a minute. 
Maybe physically intimidating. The match hasn't gotten underway yet. Look at that grin on LT's face. Yeah, I know that grin. That's a nervous grin. He's trying to convince his teammates down there that he's not scared of Bam Bam. And LT must be saying to himself, what have I done? I've stepped into something that I'm totally unfamiliar with. <laughs> I'm in a squared circle. I'm in a World Wrestling Federation ring, and I'm facing this 360-pound monster, Bam Bam Bigelow. What am I doing? Is LT intimidated by the presence of the superstar, Bam Bam Bigelow? He's got to be. He's scared to death right now. I can get oh, Did you see that? Wait, Wait a minute. minute. Here we go with action. Look out. Tail and a forearm. My goodness. I'll give it to me left. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Montana setting up Bam Bam Bigelow. Holds him down to the canvas. Look out here. Comes out. Tia with a top rope to the outside. Illegal use of the hands. I think Bam Bam could have finished him by now. But you're right. He Wait wants to rub it in. Look Bam at Bam that. wants to go outside. And members of LT's off-pro team keeping him away from going to the outside now. Drives. against Big Daddy Cool Diesel. What an extraordinary matchup this is likely to be. Michael's the WWE Champion! And you! The Jackknife! We'll go for the cover one! Two! Yes! Yes! What a tremendous matchup! Two tremendous athletes that we saw earlier on! Go get him, Nick! Champion Diesel with the title in his hands. Well, it's not over now. It's not over yet. Wait a minute. He's bringing Jennifer McCarthy in the ring as well. Now what's he doing? To the victor, Gola Spoils. And wait a minute. Here comes Nick Totoro as well. Here comes Jonathan Taylor Thomas. All the celebrities coming into the ring. This is WrestleMania. This is a pageantry! Yes, indeed! The WWF Champion, Big Daddy Cool there, surrounded by Hollywood! I want to tell you, I'm still breathless! What a match! What a WrestleMania! A razor on the edge from WrestleMania 12. More Scott Hall stories coming your way from WrestleMania. The year was 1996. Hall's last as Razor Ramon. Though the popularity of the bad guy was still sky-high, Hall had been regulated to putting over opponents like newcomer Goldust for his Intercontinental Championship. A rematch was set for Mania at the Arrowhead Pond, a contest that many believe would seal Razor's fate as a make-or-break main eventer for the company. With Hall's contract expiration being well-documented in the information age that wrestling was entering, a win was pivotal to keeping him around for years to come, and maybe even making him a world champion. Unfortunately, the match never happened, as Hall was suspended weeks earlier due to drug and alcohol abuse. Despite being plastered all over the promotional material for the event, Hall was nowhere to be seen 
on the night of WrestleMania, instead being replaced by the now infamous Hollywood backlot brawl between Goldust and Rowdy Roddy Piper. He only competed on one more WWF pay-per-view before departing for WCW and becoming a major player in the Monday Night War. Sadly, the drug and alcohol abuse would follow him as well. Just like on the previous edition, Part 1 of Volume 2, the stories behind WrestleMania with Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect, on the brink of main event level status with his feud with Lex Luger, a similar situation could be said for Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, during this era. If things panned out in a different manner, Razor Ramon could have been a main event level player in the World Wrestling Federation, he could have been WWF champion, but at the same time, maybe he wouldn't have gone over to WCW and the Monday Night Wars wouldn't have started, leading to the big boom period for the World Wrestling Federation in the Attitude Era. Many what-ifs in this situation, as this story behind WrestleMania may have been the precursor to the formation of the New World Order, WCW Monday Nitro beating Raw, winning the ratings war, the Monday Night War continuing, and quite possibly ending any chance Scott Hall would ever have at becoming a world champion. 3,600 seconds, 60 minutes, one hour. In WrestleMania lore, these numbers mean one thing. The Iron Man match. While WrestleMania 12 heralded the debut of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H onto the grand stage, it is the legendary 60-minute Iron Man match that elevated WrestleMania 12 to the pantheon of greatness. Two superstars, one singular goal, to be champion. Shawn Michaels was controversial with a boyhood dream to be the best. Brett the Hitman Hart, a proud champion and rightful heir to the Hart family legacy. And here we go, 60 minutes long. Shawn is more of an instinct, man. Brett is more of a strategist. Here comes Vincent Shawn Michaels. Both men have given it their all. Does this capacity crowd buzzing? They've never seen anything quite like this. On this night, the genuine animosity between these men proved to be the inspiration for a masterpiece. In a match decided by most falls in an hour, shockingly, there were none. With 30 seconds left, a sharpshooter should have been the end. Got the full 60-minute time limit! But the man who would become Mr. WrestleMania would not let his dream die. I don't think Michaels gave up! This match has been sudden death, the heartbreak kid would find life. Wait a minute, Michael said he got it! He got it! Michael's got it! The greatest WrestleMania match of the last millennium by the WWE Universe. The Iron Man match and WrestleMania 12 are forever synonymous with greatness. Ultimately unprepared from WrestleMania 12 as well. Triple H will likely go down as one of the greatest wrestlers of a generation. But he probably wants to forget about his WrestleMania moment in 1996. 
You see, it was at this WrestleMania that Hunter Hearst Helmsley would be fed to the wood chipper known as the Ultimate Warrior. Warrior was making a major comeback at this time with the organization and was seen as a big strike in the WWF's effort to keep fans from jumping to WCW. Certainly, his appearance and return at WrestleMania would help sell more pay-per-views, and indeed it did. But the match Warrior competed in with Helmsley was far less than good, if not only because Triple H had no idea what to do coming into the match. Warrior and Triple H had been introduced backstage, but witness reports indicate that it was the entire conversation they had going into the contest. Very small and minute. That's right, the only thing they really prepared during the 90-second squash match was that Warrior was going to go over. This is probably the reason that Triple H doesn't enjoy discussing Warrior's no-sell of the pedigree. And, if you haven't figured it out quite yet, squashes and WrestleMania do not make the world work. When you are leading up to the biggest event of the year, you do not want to see a squash match or an enhancement match. You're there to see the top wrestlers in wrestling wrestle at WrestleMania. Get it? That was not the case at WrestleMania 12 for Triple H. He was fed to the Warrior, but in turn now, look who's laughing last. Triple H is now a bigwig in the professional wrestling industry, and maybe he's the one that's doing the squashing now. We had two stories going into WrestleMania 12, and the same was said for WrestleMania 13. Overall, not an impressive show outside of the one major groundbreaking match between Bret Hart and Steve Austin that truly made Steve Austin's career and flip-flopped the heel and babyface role within the match. Other than that, the stories behind this WrestleMania were quite interesting. The Chicago snuff fight from this year was certainly one of those. Ahmed Johnson was legitimately scheduled to be the next big force in the World Wrestling Federation when he debuted in 1995, but his body and mind simply were not in on the plan, and soon Ahmed found himself the benefactor of unfortunate circumstances. He had been booked into a huge year-long feud with former WCW champion Ron Simmons, now parading around as Farouk, and alongside his stable, the Nation of Domination. While the Nation had abused Ahmed seemingly forever, Johnson was about to get a measure of retribution with the help of the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk. So the Chicago street fight was set to commence at WrestleMania 13 in Chicago, Illinois. But what nobody really figured was that the backstage reputation of several of the stars in the contest could make for some onstage problems. Among them, Hawk of LOD and Crush of the Nation were notorious drug users, especially at that time. Ahmed had been more involved just a year earlier in the fiasco over cocaine and Chris Candido's wife, Sonny. Rumor has it that the backstage presence of at least one illegal substance led to these three entering the contest a little worse for wear. They found certain cocktails, you can say, of the illegal kind. As a result, it seemed as if Ahmed and Hawk were not at 100% on performance level for that year's WrestleMania, possibly due to that certain illegal cocktail that they were ingesting. And Crush seemed to take his very sweet time executing nearly every move. 
Luckily, more consummate professionals like Road Warrior Animal, Savio Vega, and Ron Simmons were still sober and able to keep the match from being a complete... Johnson's career never took off, and quite possibly this could be one of the reasons why the Chicago fiasco street fight from WrestleMania 13. Before The Rock can say it, what's that smell from WrestleMania 13 as well? Finally, we come to one of the most unintentionally hilarious tales in WrestleMania history. Sid Vicious already had himself a number of legends heading into his final WrestleMania appearance for the WWF. Let's recap the stories behind Sid as well. Sid had a pet squirrel that at one point tore into his ball bag. Sid got into a bar fight with Brian Pillman and lost, then returned with a squeegee to get revenge. He also stabbed Arn Anderson in a hotel fight with a pair of scissors, despite being leagues bigger than the Enforcer. You would think with these stories, Sid could not top any of them, but he did just that at WrestleMania 13. Somehow, none of these tales were as embarrassing as the one that says that Sid defecated in his tights during the finale with The Undertaker at WrestleMania 13. As Taker lifted Sid up for the finishing Tombstone Piledriver, reports claim that both he and the official noticed a foul smell emanating from Psycho Sid. While it likely could have been passed off as gas, maybe, something with the texture and warmth of apple pie may soon have found its way into Sid's pants after he was planted on the mat. Get the picture? Undertaker pinned Sid from a distance and won the WWF Championship this evening. And as he was celebrating, Sid exited the ring incredibly quickly. Really quick for even Sid. Rumors were that he crapped on purpose in the final outing were unsubstantiated. Okay, we're not condoning or saying that this is fact. These are the rumors, the rumored story behind this event. Okay, After all, Sid's way of getting revenge during his final match with the company was to kick out of his opponent's finisher, not to lose bowel control. Remember from part one of the stories behind WrestleMania? Sid continues to make history in one way or another at WrestleMania. WrestleMania 13 in Chicago! The city of broad shoulders aptly hosted one of the toughest WrestleManias in history. This is brutal. A vicious fight. A Chicago street fight. 13 was anything but unlucky for the future of the WWE, as a plethora of young superstars were about to break loose. This is Rocky Maivia's first WrestleMania event. Rocky Maivia reigning intercontinental champion who was named by you, the fans, to be the new sensation. The future People's Champ gave a glimpse of the electrifying presence that would one day dazzle the squared circle. Later that night, a grueling submission match solidified a Hall of Fame resume. All hell is breaking loose here between Austin and the Hitman. This is a war at WrestleMania. But the sweat and blood a rattlesnake spilled marked the beginning of a whole new attitude in the WWE. 18,000 fans chanting Austin, Austin. That's a testament of that man's guts and the admiration these fans have gained for this man here tonight. 
In the main event, 13 brought good fortune to the man from the dark side. Undertaker, it was his first championship won at WrestleMania and his sixth straight WrestleMania victory, a streak that continues to today. WrestleMania 14 was a transitional period for the World Wrestling Federation. The event itself was extremely controversial as well. It all surrounded Iron Mike Tyson arriving in the WWF to be the special enforcer for the championship main event match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and champion Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels. The aftermath, Stone Cold becoming WWF champion and with the notoriety of Tyson appearing, it gave the WWE the new tone for their product. The WWF would take the lead in the Monday Night Wars. With Shawn Michaels gone, Austin's nemesis became Vince McMahon, the other man involved in the Montreal Screwjob. Shawn's DX group, the Generation X, would go on to great things with new leader Triple H. The bold move in bringing in Mike Tyson seemed to prove beneficial for the WWF. The Attitude Era was in full swing but this all could not have happened in a very simple manner. The Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels could not have appeared. Mike Tyson could have flew off the handle. All the pieces of the puzzle fell into place, and a new era was born for the WWF. Some random facts. This is the first WrestleMania to feature the Scratch logo of the Attitude Era for the WWF, now seen for the WWE. Shawn Michaels would make his next WrestleMania wrestling appearance at WrestleMania 19. He would return to the ring at SummerSlam 2002. It's amazing. If a few things did not go right for this WrestleMania, the WWF could be the ones out of business and WCW Nitro could be the show we're watching on Monday nights. Yeah! Oh, he can't! 
finds their feet. <laughs> Good God. Where did he go? No. That's Pete Rose. That's Pete Rose. Pete Rose just got tombstone. And this crowd in Boston loved it. If you think Steve Austin ruled, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. It don't get no bigger than this. This is what our business is all about. It's about earning the opportunity to wrestle in the main event at a WrestleMania. Look at Shawn Michaels. He is so full of himself. Austin cannot connect with us. Oh, no. is off the page. Both these guys gotta be hurt like hell. And John Michaels somehow comes up. My God, can you believe this man? Michaels now will take the ultimate chance. He's injured, but he's gonna climb the ladder. He's gonna punish him off. And the elbow right into the heart of the rattlesnake. Michaels may be tuning up the band for some sweet gin music, kid. Austin backed up somehow. Man hangs his career at WrestleMania 15. Overall, 15 felt less like the biggest show of the year and more like a Monday Night Raw business as usual to the World Wrestling Federation. Several gimmicks, quick matches, and silly antics were put on display throughout the evening. I was there live in Philadelphia to witness this regular type of show that's supposed to be a big time show for the biggest event of the year proving that the event could really have it all in just under three hours, the WWF scheduled a Hell in a Cell match for the very first time to take place at the event. It would also be the last time the match would happen at WrestleMania until this past year's WrestleMania 28, and for a while it seemed it was for good reason. The leader of the Ministry of Darkness, The Undertaker, was slated to take on Vince McMahon's right-hand man, the Big Boss Man, inside the demonic structure, though the legend of The Undertaker's epic WrestleMania streak was just now evolving. Many forgot that The Boss Man entered this WrestleMania undefeated as well. That's right, the record stood at 7-0 and 4-0, respectively. Bet you fans did not know that offhand. But the WWF did not really promote that fact, nor did they promote Bossman as anything close to a credible threat for the taker's strength. In the end, the company decided that they needed something bigger and more chaotic to focus on when this match was to take place. And so, 
in a move that borders on bad taste in any day and age, The Undertaker won the match and proceeded to hang the boss man with a noose from the top of the cell. The boss man was then instructed to flare around briefly before simulating what was presumably his own demise. During a time when wrestling has become transparent for the consequences behind the scenes, boss man's career took a critical hit. Though he would return soon after no worse for wear, the whole angle drew massive scrutiny towards the company and forced them to rescind further plans on the Undertaker's devil character. Boss Ben was almost immediately thrust into a laughable angle with Al Snow that took away what little credibility he had left. So much so that when he finally got a shot at the WWF title by the end of the year, he was little more than an afterthought. The late big boss man a true legend in the business, but regardless, poor taste or not, it was definitely a WrestleMania moment. If you're ready for WrestleMania, give me a hell yeah! The corporation's obsession with Stone Cold Steve Austin may finally destroy Mr. McMahon's corporate empire. Austin, the World Wrestling Federation for you will never, ever be the same again. Austin manhandled! If you can't smell it, I can smell what you're cooking. Your paranoia. Whether it's paranoia or not, The Rock is causing a lot of dissension in the corporation. And that's not good. This close to WrestleMania. The Rock is ordering Paul White to go head off Stone Cold at the pass. And he went. Wait a minute. Austin in the ring. Stone Cold stunner. He hit him with a stunner. Paul White ever saw it. Austin, there is no chance. Check right in to the SmackDown Hotel. Roll right in to room 316 and burn that son of to the ground. You come to WrestleMania, you go one on one with the Great One, and the Rock will proceed to kick your monkey ass all over God's green And the reason is over his shoulder, the WWF title. And the rattlesnake is ready. This crowd is jacked. And here we are at WrestleMania 15.
WrestleMania 2000. One of the highlights of 2000 at WrestleMania was the impending 15-minute train wreck known as the Hardcore Battle Royal. Since the WWF Hardcore Championship went to 24-7 rules, the results were often crazy and hilarious, highlighted by the Houdini of Hardcore, Crash Holly. Crash, however, was growing weary of the whole concept and was hoping to end it once and for all with a 15-minute opus at WrestleMania. It was an open invitation match where the belt could change hands as many times as possible during a 15-minute interval. Once time expired, whoever was the champion would be officially the hardcore champion and would be the last one to have such a title during the 24-7 rule. Needless to say, this match was not booked move for move or minute for minute. Instead, most of the competitors were given free reign to do whatever they felt like doing as long as they kept sight of the finish. As the match was ending, Crash was supposed to regain the hardcore title from whoever held it at the time, and then Taz would lock in the Taz Mission chokehold. As he does, Crash's nephew, Hardcore Holly, would hit the ring with a jar of candy, smash it over Taz and Crash, and then go for the pin only to have time expire before the referee counts to three. Not so complicated, right? Got that finish? Wrong. Several stars were legitimately injured during the contest, or seemingly served no purpose. Notably, Pete Gass of the Main Street Posse was split open the hard way within minutes and bled so profusely it ranked on the Muda scale. Though the match mostly showcased Taz and Viscera, the finish was still about to go on as planned. He bled the Crimson Mask, like the Nature Boy Ric Flair. With less than a minute to go, Crash won the title back and was immediately swallowed up by Taz. Hardcore Holly, who had just spent the better part of the last minute resting against the announcing table, hit the ring with the candy jar and smashed it to bits. As he went for the cover, referee Tim White lunged over to make the count. The only problem was both Hardcore and Tim White were about two seconds too fast. So when White's hand came down for the three, he withdrew it with time still on the clock. Howard Finkel, my man, left with little other option, announced Hardcore Holly as the new champion, thus completely botching the finish and the 24-7 rule. It stayed around for years after this match, despite the plan to end it with Crash still champion. These factors likely motivated Tim White towards his numerous suicide attempts years later. Nevertheless, the hardcore title resulted in a hardcore, confused ending. There were multiple stories to come out of WrestleMania 2000, one of which was that WrestleMania 2000 was expected to be a big-time event for the World Wrestling Federation. They expected it to be the biggest single financial boost the company had ever experienced. That's what they anticipated. 
the WWF went as far as they could with the WrestleMania 2000 experiment, attempting to expand the pay-per-view to a nearly five-hour format before settling for now the customary four. Instead, they offered the extra incentive for the first-time ever post-game show, packaged alongside 12 hours of programming in a total known as WrestleMania all day long. I remember waking up getting so excited for, as soon as I think 12 p.m. hit, it was in the afternoon, for 12 hours of WWF action. They looked back at the history of WrestleMania leading up to the pregame and postgame of WrestleMania 2000. Seemed like a hit for any wrestling fan, right? However, much like their previous experiments to gouge more cash out of their most profitable endeavor, the WWF lost sight of the big things and managed to overlook the card with tag team matches and smash and crash action. Much of it was underwhelming or a bona fide spot fest, leaving a lot to be desired on the wrestling end of things. They were so focused on this all-day WrestleMania event that they lacked the depth of the car that's needed, especially with the roster they had at the time. Only one contest, a Divas match between the Cat and Terry Runnels, was a one-on-one affair, the lowest total in the history of the event. The programming from earlier in the day showed highlights and stories from the past WrestleManias, like I said, and was for the most part revisionist history, as several huge names from WrestleMania's legacy were left completely out of the package due to the era the WWF was in at the time. They didn't have Legends deals like they do now, therefore it felt very incomplete of a recap. And the only highlight of the post-game presentation was Hardcore Holly threatening to break Michael Cole in half while dropping an S-bomb. Overall, grosses were about the same as they had been for WrestleMania 15, but they have failed to capitalize on much of the Attitude Era that had been brought forward from WrestleMania 14. No all-day-long presentations were offered again from the WWF on pay-per-view. One positive, however, to the whole show was that this would be the WrestleMania debut of Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, Kurt Angle, the Hardy Boys, the Dudley Boys, and Edge and Christian. A big year for talent in the World Wrestling Federation. Stop doing it, Cart Carnage from WrestleMania X7, or in reality, 17. For most fans, 17 was the greatest WrestleMania in history. From top to bottom, the card is the essential dream for any wrestling fan, and nearly every match delivered in one way or another. During the triple threat match for the Hardcore Championship, Raven nearly delivered himself and Big Show a quick trip to the hospital. How so? As the battle raged into the backstage area, Raven had come up with an idea to hijack a golf cart and drive it away from the scene with Big Show, Kane, and the referee tailing him. Big Show would then hop aboard his cart while Kane would take the referee in a second cart on hot pursuit. The spot was surefire comedy, and Raven had looked at the vehicles previously in the day to make sure everything was in order. When showtime came around, Raven pulled away with Big Show inside, but failed to pay close enough attention 
to his distance from the edge of the platform in the Reliant Astrodome. As Kane followed, Raven crashed his cart into a pillar on the side, causing half the wheels on the left-hand side to slide over the edge. Had Big Show not been in the passenger seat, it is likely that the, that the whole cart would have tipped over. The weight of Big Show basically saved Raven. Escaping a fall that would have badly injured him was one thing, but as Raven stumbled out of his vehicle and around the backside, he forgot about Kane coming full speed ahead with little control over his brakes. Kane nailed Raven head-on, running over one of his legs with the cart. The spot still looked good for television, but would become one of the most notable botches in the careers of both Kane and Raven. One of the only reasons they got away with it was that Test suffered his own issues in the very next match, getting stuck in the top rope by only his boot. They later had it out, and there were no hard feelings over Kane's attempted and accidental vehicular homicide. Another story from the highly favored WrestleMania 17 event was the gimmick Battle Royal. Fans love to mark out for nostalgia. That's why Beyond the Bell is here. No one example was more obvious than the gimmick Battle Royal inside the Astrodome. The idea of having a Battle Royal was some of the most and least memorable gimmicks of the past 17 years at the time was certainly intriguing, but in no way was it going to be scientifically sound. So it should come as no surprise that the WWF was pulling out all the stops when they introduced the special commentary team for the match. Mean Gene Okerlund and Bobby the Brain Heenan. I love these two. Both future WWE Hall of Fame inductees look thrilled to be back and even more excited to be working with one another for the next few minutes, outside of a WCW banner. And while all the wrestlers may have ring rust, these commentators did not quite process they were on the microphone at all times, so it seemed. First, as Heenan went through the introductions, he referred to Okerlund as Tony, likely referring to his days in WCW with Tony Schiavone. Not missing a beat, Oakland responded with the question, Are you putting me on? Whether Heenan did it on purpose or not, it was a slip-up, but it fit for these two. The hilarity continued when Heenan and Oakland shot on pretty much everything they could in the next ten minutes. Some of the shots they took was, for instance, Heenan saying, By the time the Iron Cheek gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 38. That had me on the floor alone. Oakland said, if they wrap this cord around my neck a couple more times, I'd be happier. Heenan, about four years ago, everybody got your mother-in-law. Should I say any more? Heenan, referring to the gobbledygooker, said, didn't you used to date her? These two just spat it off commentary. It was hilarious. They also managed to call Earthquake by his real name, John Tenta, and revealed that Brother Love was making a homecoming out of Houston, Texas. But it's Oakland and Heenan, so in a sense, they could say whatever they want. They are Hall of Famers. A side note, the Iron Sheik won the Battle Royal because he would have torn at least half the muscles in his body in any attempt to go over the top rope. That is legit, my friends. The gimmick Battle Royal from WrestleMania 17, one of the most memorable moments in WrestleMania history. Yeah, he's got to be the man right here. Kill Billy Jim. I'm going to go with the Iron Sheik. 
And of course, he moves like Carl Lewis. Got no, a lot he of moves. moves yes. He moves more like Sherry Lewis. And Lamb Chop. Or Jerry Lewis. Used to be the mayor of Houston. Well, we're in Houston, so this is a homecoming of sorts for Brother Love in the gigantic gimmick Battle Royal at WrestleMania. Bobby, you can just feel it, can't you? The excitement in the air. It's so thick you can cut it with a knife. Keep your knife to yourself. Did I say that? Say whatever you want. Say whatever you want. I'm the host. And Sergeant Slaughter. This guy, a mainstay in the World Wrestling Federation for a number of years, coming here for the gimmick battle royal. Here you see him in action. That was then. Now he shoots blanks. What a good-looking man. And a nice-looking statue. Yes, a very proud American. It's like our waitress last night. You know, there were a lot of feuds of the past between these men. Think of about 10 years ago between the Iron Sheep and Sergeant Slaughter. It was wartime. Here we go. Hey, sound of the bell. And we're off and running with a gimmick. Battle Royale. Take a look at this. 18 men and all in the ring. Somebody just... Hang on, I missed it. The Repo Man is history. Repo Man, I think. This looks like a riot. And let's make a deal. The Gooker's gone. The Governor Gooker's gone. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Jim Cornette did not come dressed for the occasion. Uh-oh. Tugboat's gone. Big bad Tugboat. There's a guy I would have thought would have fared very well in this competition. More of a garbage guy. One man gang is working over Kim Chi. Hilton and Jim is measuring himself very closely in this gimmick battle royal. As he locks up now with Nikolai Volkov. John Tet. Earthquake is up. Yes. He's gone. The referee has dismissed. Earthquake, he'll have to go to the back. He's out of the running. Jim Cornett. Brother Law with a little side action here. The Iron Sheik and Hillbilly Jim. There's the two that we pick. Sergeant Slaughter and Nikolai Volkov. Point the cloud of the goon. There's a bunch from the Bushwhackers. Taking maybe a little uh, bigger bite than he should. Messing with one man gang. It's a big bite. You know what I'm about that? He's gone. He's gone over. Cornette, I think, is gone. Cornette is gone. Jim Cornette. Uh-oh. Jimmy Battle Royal. The garbage man's gone. Duke the Dumpster is history in this Battle Royal. Man, they're coming and flying out of this ring right and left right now, Bobby. Well, there's so much at stake, and they, you know, they, they love a match like this. They're, I don't know how long it's been since these gentlemen have been in this, in this kind of a match. On the outside, it's Luke working over Cornette with his very own tennis racket. Just about, yes he did, he hit the floor. Point the cloud, working with Bushwhacker, Butch, and he's up and over. He's gone, he's gone. Busy night for the referees here at ringside. 
in the gimmick battle royal at WrestleMania. Hillbilly Jim, he's still in there. Yeah, he's still in there. Bike is gone. The clown! The clown is down! The clown is up, and so is Michael. The free bird Hayes. He's gone. The evil clown is gone. I don't think I've ever seen a battle royal where people have been eliminated quite so quickly. Look at Brother Love, he's just hanging in there, going for all his cheap shots, hitting slaughter. So much for Brother Love. Oh, that is not an even battle. It's like a soldier beating up a Major D. Brother Love is history. Slaughter's gone. Slaughter the big man. Watch this, watch this. The Iron Sheik wins it. The Iron Sheik wins it. The Iron Sheik wins it. I told you, I told you. The Iron Sheik. Well, you uh, are going to pick up a buck or two from me. <laughs> Unbelievable. Hey, you talked about timing. Whoa, what's this? Slaughter again. He's not going to forget the Iron Sheik. He's not going to forget 10 years ago. And there goes Cobra Clutch. Cobra Clutch. Sergeant Slaughter. Katie, bar the door. What's going to happen? Well, you can't put him out because he's not conscious. Take a look at those boots. He should reach up and hook his nostril with one of those toes and beal him to the corner. He's got to go down. There he is. He's going to delight of this crowd. The Iron Sheik. Slaughter salutes. Wins the battle, but I'm not so certain that he has won the war here tonight in front of this record crowd at the Astrodome for WrestleMania. Bobby, it's great to be back in the World Wrestling Federation. Thank you, my friend. Hey, get your hand out of my pocket. Forget about it. Stop it. As WrestleMania 18 came around, or should we say X8, this is when the WWE went through a period where they would have the naming of the number of WrestleMania with X and then the number. I'm not sure why they thought maybe they wouldn't get the Roman numerals when it involves more than two or three symbols or letters, should we say. But for the next few WrestleManias, or next couple, should we say, involved an X and then a number. Nevertheless, 18 came around, and I attended this event in Toronto, Canada. Two stories came out of this WrestleMania, We're going to look behind the scenes at both, and they all surrounded and involved the New World Order. First off, the NWO changes the plan from WrestleMania 18. Heading into 18, the WWF reintroduced three men to the audience that would once again help revolutionize the industry in one way or another. Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash, collectively known as the New World Order. They were on their way to the ring just one month prior to the biggest show of the year. They returned, coincidentally, at No Way Out, the initials NWO, now a part of the World Wrestling Federation. Meanwhile, Triple H secured himself a spot in the main event, and both Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock were without any definitive plans. And then there was Chris Jericho, who, despite being undisputed champion, never seemed to be a lock in the position. With the addition of the NWO, fans and wrestlers alike began to wonder of the fate that would befall all of them. Initially, it was planned that The Rock would face Hogan and Austin would face Hall, while Kevin Nash would inherit the title from Jericho and take on Triple H. 
Rock and Hogan went full steam ahead, but Austin and Hall hit several roadblocks. The largest issue was that Austin did not want to work with Hall, citing his reputation as a worker and politician backstage as reasons for such. So the plan was put in place to have Austin take the title off of Jericho and battle Triple H for the gold after No Way Out. Hall and Ash would be rewritten into a tag team match of sorts. When No Way Out was finished, Jericho still had the title, and Austin would go back to working Hall. The next night, it was planned that Nash, the only one without a match, would take the title and face Triple H. A Triple H-Kevin Nash main event? Not for another year, says the creative team in the WWF at the time, as Nash didn't even compete on the WrestleMania 18 card, and all went down with Jericho still taking on the game. Still, the rewrites made you believe that the once powerful NWO had all the power of backstage politics in their grip, even in the World Wrestling Federation. Hogan and The Rock in Bizarro, Canada. Another story coming out of WrestleMania 18, the Icon vs. Icon match at 18 was significant for many more reasons than one cares to even count. But perhaps one of the most notable features to the contest was the overwhelming show of support for the immortal Hulk Hogan, despite his opposition being one of the most popular superstars in the world. Arguably the most popular, the most electrifying man in all of entertainment, The Rock. On screen, the two were defining characters of their generations, who were sure to sell at arenas from coast to coast. As the WWF prepared to take the biggest show of the year back to Toronto after 12 years away, Hogan and Rock were both unsure about how their match would go. Perhaps the most important component of the contest was just who would be working as the face and who would be the heel. If you had watched the programming leading up to the event, you'd know that Hogan was a dastardly man and as bad as ever. He was going as far as to hit an ambulance containing the rock with an 18-wheeler. Granted, not my favorite angle, but it tried to place Hogan as the heel. Such acts could not warrant him playing the face in any circumstance, you would think, so it was on the rock to rid the Federation of the leader of the New World Order. But in Canada where wrestling was seen with a different climate and performers had different reputations, for instance, of course, Bret Hart, Hogan was a treasure to them, especially years prior, the last time he was in the Skydome in Toronto, facing off against the Ultimate Warrior. In the weeks leading up to WrestleMania, the plan was for Hogan to put up a good fight, but inevitably, all of his cheating tactics would go nowhere when The Rock would prevail. It was the typical heel-face repertoire in a big match and the big atmosphere that WrestleMania leads. As media appearances and autograph signings continued, however, both men took note of the growing number of fans that were in support of Hulkamania and against the most electrifying man in entertainment. This would make for a fairly unsettling match that could get booed out of the building if it didn't deliver the goods. Luckily for the company, Hogan and Rock were two of the smartest men in the industry, and they had produced in a big way. They gave me goosebumps sitting in the Sky Dome. Both were well aware of how to milk the crowd and change on the fly. 
They were so good, especially The Rock. So with the exception of Hogan using his weight belt as a weapon, this contest was changed to a classic Hogan-style match where he would play a Superman to Rock's Lex Luthor. It worked perfectly, almost too well in some cases. Rock even went as far as to gain cheap heat by strapping the Hulkster in the sharpshooter. By the end of the contest, even though Rock still won, the crowd was solidly in favor of Hulkamania, and so the NWO gimmick was derailed almost as quickly as it arrived. When a run-in from Kevin Ash and Scott Hall signaled the end of Hogan's allegiance with the group. As he posed for the crowd, we knew that Hulk still ruled this kingdom and that The Rock was as important in putting it over for the audience. The only problem was that they were too successful, and within one month they completely erased the inspirational story of Triple H's comeback by having him drop the Undisputed Championship to, you guessed it, the immortal Hulk Hogan brother. Again, in one way or another, the NWO rewrites history in professional wrestling. stories come out of Wrestlemania 19. First off, two words, one superstar, Nathan Jones. When vignettes began airing in late 2002 for a man claiming to be the Colossus of Baga Road, fans were treated to old-school WWE build for a guy who appeared to be a massive foe for the future. His name was Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones. 
and he was, at the very least, terrifying to observe. Jones was being billed as the kind of guy who could rip your head straight off if he wanted to, while also claiming he never would. But when he finally made his television debut, Jones was a big softy who came across as needing a lot more time to learn the ropes and become the superstar we thought he would already be. So he was paired up with The Undertaker as his mentor in an attempt to get him over. Off-screen, Jones was as green as grass and completely impatient about learning the process. He had already made a lot of money wrestling for the World Wrestling All-Stars overseas, but the biggest stage was something he knew literally nothing about. Every time he hit the ring on SmackDown, Jones went botch-crazy, missing even the simplest of moves and selling offense with no method or reasoning. Even with The Undertaker, it was clear that Jones wasn't changing. There was no improvement for the supposed Colossus. At WrestleMania, Jones was scheduled to pair up with The Undertaker to take on The Big Show and A-Train. Then, within a week, the match was changed to a handicap contest with Jones removed. Then Jones was put back into it, and again within a week, he was dropped altogether. Somewhere behind the scenes, the creative team was at war on what to do with the so-called Colossus. Several parties believed that despite his deficiencies, he st- he was still a can't-miss and couldn't be left off the Mania card. Others felt that continuing pressures to keep the card excellent and keep The Undertaker, who had major backstage pull, of course, from annihilating everyone, including Jones, were more prevalent. In the end, Jones only made a run-in at the end, where, not surprisingly, he almost fell down twice and missed a spin kick on a man as big as a bus. He quit the company later that year, basically throwing a temper tantrum on the way out. They had a trip to Australia on tour, the overseas tour for the WWE, and he never came back. He decided to stay in his home country of Australia and was done with the business. Nathan Jones, a very brief note in WrestleMania history, but the legend of The Undertaker would surpass this blip on his undefeated streak at the biggest event of the year. Another huge story to come out of WrestleMania 19 was the Shooting Star Press. It may well be the most iconic blunder, or blown spot, you can say, in WrestleMania history, and with good reason. After a grueling 20-minute encounter with Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar planned on making a special moment for the fans in attendance and the millions watching around the world by going for a shooting star press from the top rope. Such an aerial move, the finisher most commonly associated with Billy Kidman, the 450 splash we've seen most recently with Justin Gabriel, it had never been attempted by anyone Lesnar's size before, except for Brock Lesnar. I remember seeing a YouTube clip of this move uh, from when Lesnar was in OVW, but he never attempted it on WWE television until the 19th installment of WrestleMania. In the weeks leading up to the event, Lesnar stated in many interviews that he was going to try some new things at the event and would hopefully give the people something to talk about. Many speculated as to what exactly Lesnar was hinting at, 
as it was an underlying tone to nearly all his interviews, including one in WWE Magazine. I had a feeling in the in the back of my mind that he was going for the Shooting Star Press. This is the move he was referring to. Go big or go home. It's WrestleMania. Like I mentioned, if you watched the entire career of Lesnar, including his Ohio Valley wrestling career, you knew that despite his incredible size, Lesnar had great dexterity and flexibility and was able to perform moves that only smaller men had previously attempted. And one such move, yes, was the Shooting Star Press, which Lesnar did in a manner that allowed him to lunge halfway across the ring. He had hit it several times before and was prepared to unveil it for the very first time to a national audience at the biggest event of the year. The only problem was Lesnar hadn't attempted the move in nearly a year. At least since coming to WWE, Lesnar was kept as a monster who would destroy competitors with high-impact throws and strikes. He hadn't even thought about the top-rope arsenal since his call-up to the big leagues. So to say that he was rusty at executing such a dangerous finisher was an understatement. To say that it would be ambitious to actually hit the move on Kurt Angle, who was more than three-quarters of the way across the ring, would also be an understatement. As soon as he left the turnbuckle pad, Lesnar looked awkward and clearly did not have the distance to nail Angle. Instead, he crash-landed head-first into Angle's side, briefly stunning himself for the remainder of the match. The second he got up there, I said he's too far away. Angle's too far away. He cannot do it. Even though it's Brock Lesnar, he can't do it. Something bad's going to happen. Unless Angle rolled towards the turnbuckle closer to Lesnar, I didn't see it happening. But still, the show had to go on. And even though the botch was fresh in everyone's memories... A glassy-eyed Lesnar prevailed. He looked pissed at the end of the match. Worse for wear, he looked out of it. Everything looked like a fog to him. Backstage clips were shown. He was mad, telling people to stay away from him. Get away from me. He was a one angry next big thing. He had arrived at WrestleMania, but at what cost? A month or so afterwards, with Lesnar tearing up WWE as the biggest draw, Billy Kibben mentioned in an interview how he was offended that Lesnar had tried to steal his move, going as far as to say he would never attempt an F5 out of courtesy. Kibben never really received a push after that point and was released sometime later, but now of course we know he's back with WWE in a backstage role, but it is unknown as to whether or not his widely publicized comments were the catalyst for his punishment-slash-demotion in the company. The next question was, what was the damage to Brock Lesnar? Landing basically on your head, if it were any other man, any other superstar, their necks could have been broken, they could have been paralyzed. But the man-beast, Brock Lesnar, survived, and he absolutely left us with a WrestleMania moment. Brock Lesnar cannot crawl from this position oh. to the ropes. No doubt about it. you got to be damn near really super oh. powerful to crawl when a guy's got that, that leg wrapped up with a grapevine and the ankle lock. 
by a gold medalist. But look at Lesnar. Lesnar is dragging the champion. He is dragging the champion. How strong is Brock Lesnar? Lesnar has made it to the ropes. Angle has to break the hold. I don't believe Lesnar. But again, Angle. Brock's gonna put it up. Look at this. Lesnar counter. Both men are just spent. Before this match, we see Rock and Austin leave it in the ring, and that's just what Angle and Lesnar are doing. Rock Lesnar's to his feet. The champion Kurt Angle's in trouble. Uh -oh, boot There's to the a gun to the midsection. Five. Oh man! Oh, package. He got it. down, and then Lesnar kicked out. You see how quick Angle rolled him up. It's all about the WWE title. Angle Try slam. Angle up. Angle slam. Counter. Lesnar. Kick to the midsection. Another one. Another one. Another at five. Cole. If he nails this. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Here comes the pain. The F5 connects again to Angle. Angle kicked out of the last F5. Will he kick out of this one? I don't know, Cole. In my opinion, Kurt Angle is toast. He's done. There's no way. Two F5s. But what is Brock Lesnar doing? He's not going for the cover off the F5. The champion is out in the middle of the ring. I don't know what Lesnar's doing. That ain't Eric Angle there. Like you see that smack that a couple weeks ago. What is Brock doing? Brock, cover him. It's WrestleMania. It's for the champion. Wait a minute. Brock Lesnar is right into the top. What is Lesnar doing? Brock Lesnar, he's climbing to the top. I, I, I don't, I, this ain't Brock. Brock doesn't do, what the hell is this? What the hell's Lesnar doing, Cole? Oh my God! Brock Lesnar went to the shooting star press, and Kurt Angle rolled out of the way. And he covered that chin, that chin. He got it. No! Just got the shoulder up. Angle but, but Le Lesnar did not hit that whole shoot star press. That was obvious, and Lesnar, Landed on the back of his head. That's 290 pounds coming down on your neck. Kurt Angle rolled out of the way. He saw the shooting star press coming. Oh, man. He took advantage with a pitfall. Crashed and burn. Kicked out of. Rock crashed and burned. You got to give him an even oh. effort. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh. 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 This would be the third oh. F5 call. If he's got the energy to top him, here's the top. One, two, we have a new champion. Here is your winner and the new WWE champion, Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is now a two-time WWE champion. Unbelievable. Look, look at this. Shootstar pass right on his head! Oh my god! How is Lesnar not dead right now? And then an F5 and third F5 fell Kurt Angle. The bottom line, the fact of the matter is, Brock Lesnar is leaving WrestleMania as the WWE Champion. Congratulations, Brock! In his first WrestleMania, Brock Lesnar has climbed to the top of the mountain. On March 30th, 2003, the era of the animal, Brock Lesnar, has arrived. And we close out part two of the stories behind WrestleMania Volume 2 with WrestleMania 20. The 20th installment 
of the granddaddy of them all, emanating from Madison Square Garden. Again, I was lucky enough to be a part of the audience and crowd that very evening. And Shawn Michaels stayed in the picture in the main event of this very show. When Chris Benoit began his stoic run to the top of the WWE in 2004, it was always expected that he would take down the top dog on the Raw roster. En route to the World Heavyweight Championship, that man was Triple H, and he and Benoit had already clashed in some old-school affairs in the past. Benoit was a consummate technician in the ring, while Triple H had the skill and psychology of Harley Race. Together, the two were capable of producing big-time thrills and chills for any fan. But when the WWE looked at the potential for having them face off for the title, something was missing. According to the company, what was missing was a true appeal and drawing power. So they believed. This was supposed to be the biggest WrestleMania of all time. WrestleMania 20. Back where it all began. Madison Square Garden. And while Benoit was on the rise, he was far from being on the A-list. So it would come to be that Benoit's one-on-one encounter was replaced by a triple threat contest that would include a surefire numbers draw, the heartbreak kid Mr. WrestleMania, Mr. Hall of Fame now, Shawn Michaels. While no official reports can be confirmed, there is a large line of though that indicates Michaels would fast-track his way to an encounter with Evolution at WrestleMania. It was then he would team up with another few legends, Mick Foley and The Rock, to take on the three remaining members of Evolution, Batista, Ric Flair, and Randy Orton, in the most epic six-man match in Mania history. That was what some reports were claiming that was the plan for HBK at Mania. So when the plans were rewritten starting in January during a no-contest finish with Michaels and Triple H... It continued until the big main event of WrestleMania, but oddly enough, it also worked heavily against Benoit. Few times was Benoit seen in an equal position to his opponents. So, by the time he actually claimed the title, he wasn't going over in nearly as large a way as he could have. It would take a series of rematches and victories over guys like Michaels that would finally put Benoit over as a true main event player in the WWE. HBK's replacement in the six-man tag match? Nobody. Who could replace the Heartbreak Kid? The WWE instead changed the contest to a handicap match that was lackluster at best. It only had the star power of the Rock and Sock connection teaming up once again, the Rock returning to the ring after an absence at WrestleMania. Now looking back at it, unfortunately with the Benoit tragedy, that maybe it was a good move in hindsight because now you could say Triple H and Shawn Michaels were in the main event of WrestleMania 20 without having to go out of your way to mention Benoit's name out of respect from the situation and trying to not look at negativity when speaking about WrestleMania and main events cannot deny outside of the personal issues that happened with Chris Benoit he was a great technician in the ring he deserved the spot at the time that main event spot but again the WWE wasn't fully behind the Benoit push therefore HBK catapulted into a triple threat match at Wrestlemania 
typically you won't want a triple threat match at Mania. You want one-on-one encounters with a definitive ending with a true champion. But WrestleMania 20 was a great event, and the ovation that was received at the end of that main event was memorable. This match could only happen at WrestleMania 20. Bill Goldberg, Brock Lesnar, one-on-one, was going Back on his feet. Don't have a good feeling about this. Uh-oh. And oh, oh, oh! Austin just stunned Lesnar right out of the WWE ring! Don't close saluting this sold-out crowd here at Madison Square Garden. Goldberg doing likewise. And oh! Austin with a stunner on Goldberg now! Stone Cold stunning Goldberg! Stone Cold stunning Lesnar! Oh, what a moment! Promotional consideration paid for by the following. WrestleManiacs, it's time to thank the sponsors of Beyond the Bell. They help bring your pro wrestling nostalgia podcast to you each and every week. Barber Shop Window, the place that makes wrestling t-shirts cool again to wear. Yes, you could wear a wrestling t-shirt out in public. They release brand new shirts every single week. Brand new designs, you name it, they carry it. They are hip, they are cool, no joke. We're talking WrestleMania season, and of course the stars of WrestleMania, past, present, and quite possibly future, are represented as well at Barbershop Window. One of my personal favorite designs is the Big Boss Man t-shirt who, of course, would not want to wear a t-shirt that looks like the big boss man's baby blue shirt. Gotta love it. Not to mention, you can get the Akeem t-shirt. You can make the Twin Towers at Barbershop Window. Follow them at B-Shop Window on Twitter and go to barbershopwindow.com now and make your wrestling wardrobe cool again. SNSRadioNetwork.com Your home for everything related to professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, video gaming, and sci-fi. Get all the latest news and listen to innovative audio released daily. The network is anchored by the two flagship shows, Wrestling News Live and Sunday Night Showdown. They cover every pay-per-view. The talented hosts of SNS Radio Network cover it all. So go to SNSRadioNetwork.com now. If you're not listening, you're not trying. Ringannouncing.com, your home for WrestleMania Month here at Beyond the Bell. It's the home of the future of ring announcing, Sean Beckerman. You can watch the latest videos and demo reels of ring announcer Sean Beckerman on the independent wrestling scene. Go now to ringannouncing.com and celebrate 29 years of WrestleMania during WrestleMania month at Beyond the Bell. Combat Zone Wrestling on DVD. The ultra-violent wrestling promotion can be seen on your TV or on your computer, smartphone, or tablet. You can purchase all CZW ultra-violent events. Stream them live straight on your desktop computer at czwrestling.com. Get ready 
to get ultra-violent with CZW. The NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, tried, tested, honored, and of course, revered. You can catch the NWA nationwide through multiple affiliates from coast to coast. Check out the Talk NWA podcast, the NWA history, tradition, and respect. Go to nwawrestling.org now, preserving tradition and blazing new paths. Squared Circle Media, Jerome Willen brings you a forum for the fans. SquaredCircleMedia.net gives wrestling fans a voice. You can post your opinions and thoughts on what's happening today in the world of wrestling. Join the conversation at Pro Wrestling Ringside on Blogspot. Share your opinions now. Connect socially to Beyond the Bell via Twitter and tell at Sean Beckerman. Become a fan of Beyond the Bell on Facebook under the BTB fan page. All audio and video clips can be seen under the YouTube channel Ring Announcing for Beyond the Bell. You can download all of the archive shows at ringannouncing.com as well as snsradionetwork.com. You smartphone users download all archive shows directly via iTunes, the Stitcher app, and TuneIn Radio. You can catch new episodes of Beyond the Bell every Monday night, each and every week. Like the SNS Radio Network, if you're not listening, you're not trying. Want to become a sponsor of Beyond the Bell? Contact us at btbwrestling at gmail.com or beckerman at ringannouncing.com. Put under the title, Advertising. Join the Beyond the Bell revolution now as we go back to rewind and relive all things retro in wrestling. Classic, old school, you name it, it's Beyond the Bell on the SNS Radio Network. Alright, WrestleManiacs, that concludes part two of the stories behind WrestleMania Volume 2 on Beyond the Bell. We are deep in the middle of WrestleMania month here at Beyond the Bell, and I promise you fans, the content will keep coming during the entire month of March leading up to WrestleMania 29. WrestleMania themed shows are headed your way throughout the entire month on Beyond the Bell. Stay tuned for part three of the stories behind WrestleMania as we look back at 21 through 28 and the stories behind each and every granddaddy of them all. Part three coming up of the stories behind WrestleMania Volume 2. I am also excited to be able to report live from the entire Access event at WrestleMania 29, from the Hall of Fame induction ceremony to Access at the Meadowlands Arena to being at MetLife Stadium for WrestleMania 29. We'll have full coverage at the SNS Radio Network and on Beyond the Bell as BTB Extras will be able to be archived and listened to on all smartphones and computers. Since we're talking WrestleMania, I suggest going back to last year's WrestleMania coverage. We debuted the stories behind WrestleMania. That was Volume 1 of the series. We also re-released the WrestleMania Dream Card, the very first edition of Beyond the Bell, the pilot, you might say, of BTB. And we re-released it last year as we look back, in my opinion, of what the true WrestleMania Dream Card would be. You can listen to all this and more 
on my official website, ringannouncing.com. Under the search option, you can just type WrestleMania, and all the WrestleMania-themed content would show up for you for Beyond the Bell. So, WrestleManiacs, let's take it home and go for the three count with some old-school music. We mentioned it earlier, WrestleMania 17 was arguably the biggest WrestleMania ever for the World Wrestling Federation. Sure, there were WrestleManias after 17 that surpassed in terms of attendance numbers and figures, anticipated and highly promoted dream cards, especially the next year with Rock and Hogan. But at the time, the WWF purchased WCW, and they were on top of the wrestling world, and WrestleMania 17 seemed as if it was a celebration of the conquering hero of Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation over those evil WCW foes. And the card, like we mentioned, was stacked for the most part. An incredible lineup leading up to the main event of The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. So we'll wrap it up with the theme from WrestleMania 17. This is another topic that we will discuss for our WrestleMania theme content. Hopefully, I'm not sure if we'll get to it this year, but we will definitely cover it in the years to come, the songs behind WrestleMania. But this is one of the great theme songs of WrestleMania's past. My Way by Limp Biscuit was the theme song from WrestleMania 17. We heard it, oh, so many times on WWF programming leading up to the event, especially the big promo package summing up the feud between Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. So let's take it home with some Limp Biscuit My Way from WrestleMania 17. Fans, that will wrap up another edition of BTB until our next edition where we cover WrestleMania content during WrestleMania month on Beyond the Bell. I'm your personal ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, signing off, and I'll see you at WrestleMania 29. You think you're special, you do. See it in your eyes. I can see it when you laugh at me. Look down on me and walk around on me. Just
ago WrestleMania season, and it's WrestleMania time here at Beyond the Bell. Last year, the entire month of March was filled with WrestleMania-themed content. This year will be no different. Throughout the month of March, leading into the biggest event of the year for sports entertainment, we will be releasing tons of WrestleMania-themed content. Get ready for Volume 2 of the stories behind WrestleMania. Split into three parts where we look back at the previous 28 WrestleManias and the stories behind each and every spectacular event. Get ready to go back in time and learn about the untold stories behind the granddaddy of them all. We will celebrate the 2013 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. Look back at the careers of each inductee and how they made their mark in the world of professional wrestling. And then leading up to the biggest event of the year, you can listen to Beyond the Bell Extra Editions as I will be on site at WrestleMania 29. You will hear audio from myself on site at the location MetLife Stadium from the 2013 Hall of Fame in Madison Square Garden and at WWE Access at the IZOD Center, formerly the Meadowlands Arena. All three locations will be there live on site. We will give you a first-hand look, or should I say listen, to the sights and sounds of WrestleMania weekend. All this and more during WrestleMania season at Beyond the Bell, starting this March. Get ready, because it's WrestleMania! WrestleMania! 